0: Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll take it a little slow this morning. We're only going to tackle 3 verses. I like it when we do just a couple verses. Almost takes you deeper. So John 12. We're going to begin in verse 9. If you're there say a word Stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he he raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship that we've been able to have so far throughout this service. And so God, as we come to worship through the preaching of your word, I pray that you would use me as you see fit. Open up our hearts and our eyes to the truth of what your word has for us this morning. In your son's precious name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if you've ever heard of Polycarp. In A.D. 161, Christians came under persecution from Marcus Aurelius. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna at the time, and it's said that three days before he was captured, he had a dream that a pillow under his head caught fire. And when he awoke, he told those around him that he would burn alive for Christ's sake. When his captors arrived, Polycarp welcomed them, ordered a meal to be prepared for them, and asked for one hour alone to pray. Not very typical to do that for the men who are coming to send you off to jail. These soldiers were so impressed with his age, he was in his 80s, and his composure and his respect that they had wondered why they were even sent there to capture him. Well, after he was done praying and as they were bringing him before the tribunal, He refused to deny Christ, even though they pretty much begged him to because of his old age. You know, they don't they don't want to put an 80 year old man to death because of his faith. Polycarp said 86 years I have served Christ and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Fox's Book of Martyrs says that after he was threatened with wild beasts and fire, Polycarp stood his ground and said, What are you waiting for? Do whatever you please. Can you imagine the the courage, the boldness that this man has in the face of death for the sake of Christ? So as they prepared the fire and prepared to tie him to the stake, Polycarp said, Leave me. He who will give me strength to sustain the fire will help me not to flinch from the pile. So they bound him, but they didn't tie him to the stake. They left him and then they lit the fire. However, the fire didn't consume him at first. So a soldier took a sword and plunged it into him. And it's said that the fire was immediately extinguished because of the amount of blood. The soldiers placed his body into a fire and burned it to ashes. All for the sake of Christ. All because of his testimony, his witness. It's people like Polycarp and other Christians who were killed for the sake of Christ who have lived courageous, bold lives for the sake of the gospel that encourage me as a follower of Christ. I've, I've recently gotten into reading more biographies of Christian missionaries and Christian preachers, the dead guys, who gave everything and was willing to give everything for the sake of the gospel. And it's encouraging to read what they struggled with just as a pastor in ministry. Their lives cause me to wonder about their faith in Christ. Their lives also cause me to wonder about my faith in Christ. Today we come back to Lazarus, whom we preached about on Easter Sunday. We're revisiting the dinner table from last Sunday where Martha was preparing. Then you had Mary who was wiping the feet of Jesus with expensive ointment. Then you had Judas who was ridiculing her for doing that. But there was one person we didn't talk about last week that I want to talk about this week and that's Lazarus. We mentioned him that he's reclining at the table. I mean, he's chilling out. He's had it rough. He just died and was rose again. He's had a long journey. But now we've revisited him. Now we're we're only going to tackle these 3 verses this morning and I'm very excited about it because it's within these 3 verses that I want to show you Three ways in which our transformation, our testimony, what Christ has done in our lives affects the people around us. So, today I want you to examine yourselves. I want you to look within yourselves and see has what Christ done within my life affected the people around me? So, here's the truth that I want you to take away from this message. As you have noticed, I give a big idea for each message, even Wednesday night messages and Sunday night messages. I give a big idea for each message, and the reason why is sometimes it can be hard to memorize the entire outline. Sometimes I'll give you, like today, a three-point outline, or sometimes I'll give you a 10- or 12-point outline. Who knows how the passage goes? But the big idea is done so that if you were to walk away with one short sentence as to what the sermon was about... If someone at your work or at lunch or in your family were to ask you what the message was about, this is what you can tell them. So the big idea is important for you. This is what I want you to walk away with. So here's today's big idea. Christ must be so evident in our lives that people seek to believe who he is. Christ must be so evident in our lives that people seek to believe who he is. Our witness, our testimony, our lives, our actions, our words, our reactions are always to show people that Christ is evident. In our lives. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to live lives that show other people, not in a boastful way, but in a transformational way, that Christ has done a work within us. So here we see Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, it's a big change. And we see the crowd of Jews that want to come and see him and Jesus. Not only do we see them, but we see the chief priests who want to have him killed. Not just Jesus, but Lazarus. So last week we said that we should be more like Mary. Completely devoted to Christ. With every single thing we are, with every single thing we have, our devotion should be like Mary's. This week, we should be more like Lazarus, where Christ's transforming work is so evident in our lives that people seek to believe who he is. So here we go. Three ways in which our transformation, the transformation from death to life affects the people around us. So number one, the evidence of our transformation is a testimony to the Savior's power. The evidence of our transformation is a testimony to the Savior's power. Look at verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The crowd has heard of Jesus' power. They've seen the miracles. They've heard about the miracles. Jesus has turned water into wine. Jesus has healed the sick, the lame. Jesus has fed the hungry. He's done amazing things. But they have never heard of him raising the dead to life. They wanted to see this marvel to believe it for themselves. They wanted to see tangible evidence that this has truly happened. When I was in high school, people knew that I wanted to go into ministry. People knew I wanted to do something with preaching and pastoring. I made it known. I wanted people to know it. But I think in high school, I did it more in a boastful way. Look at me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm doing the Lord's work. What are you doing with your life? You know, selfish. I had felt this calling on me my entire life. I, I, I told you when I was six. I gave my life to Christ, um, and I would record myself on cassette tape preaching. Um, I I hope I never find those tapes because I'm pretty sure they're the most heretical things ever said because I knew nothing at that age. But I knew that I was called my entire life. However, here was the problem. In high school, when I told people what I was doing the rest of my life, their response was, huh, really? See, my life showed no evidence of Christ's transforming work when I was in high school. I was doing things in high school that a true believing Christian wouldn't do. This was one of the reasons why it was a scary thought for me to come and do ministry in Oakboro, my hometown. Went to the high school across the street. That's where, you know... I was not a good witness there. I did more bad than good at West Stanley. I was scared people would remember the, the boy I once was and not the man that I am today. But we have to understand that our transformation, what Christ has done in our lives, affects the people around us. Our transformation affects people because it is a testimony to the Savior's power. And here's something I want you to think about. All ages, from elementary to whatever age you are now, would people be more shocked to hear that you are a Christian or that you aren't a Christian? Like I remember telling someone in high school that I was a Christian and they were like, no, you're not. You don't act like it. Would people be shocked to hear that you are a Christian? Are people shocked to hear that you are a Christian? Does your life carry enough evidence of God's transforming power that people wouldn't be surprised that you are a Christian? They'd be more surprised to hear that you weren't one. Can people tell by your actions, by your hobbies, by how you love your spouse and your kids, by the way you treat others, and by the way you share the gospel. See, people could even be surprised to hear that you are a Christian because they never hear you talk about Jesus. Think about it. Christ rose Lazarus from the dead. There was transforming power there. People marveled at it. They wanted to see it. They wanted to witness it. Not only did they come to see Christ, but they wanted to see Lazarus as well. Why? Because he was different. This was amazing to see this happen, that somebody who once was dead has been risen to new life. Is your transformation a testimony of Christ's power in your life. Not only is our tra- transformation a testimony of Christ's power, but number two, the evidence of our transformation is a challenge to unbelievers. The evidence of our transformation, what people see within our lives, is a challenge to unbelievers. Look at verse 10. This was after the crowd had gone to go see Lazarus. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They wanted Lazarus dead. These are religious people. These are the religious leaders of the day. They knew murder was a sin, but they did not like what was happening. They wanted Lazarus dead. Not only at the end of chapter 11 do we see Caiaphas saying that the death of one person is better than the whole nation should perish. But now it's the death of two people. They want Jesus dead and now they want Lazarus dead. And here's why. The chief priests, a little bit of church history for you. Are you ready? Chief priests, they were Sadducees. Everybody say Sadducees. Good, you're theologians now. Chief priests were Sadducees. They were not Pharisees. Now, one of the distinct things that, that made the Sadducees different from the Pharisees, Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not believe that you can be resurrected from the dead. But now... Now that there's evidence of a dead body raising to life, they want to get rid of the evidence. What do you do when you don't want people to find something out? You delete it. You erase it. You get rid of it. You hide the evidence. Think of Watergate. You hide the evidence. That's what these chief priests wanted to do. Not because, not because they believed Lazarus rose from the dead, but so they could squash everyone else's belief that Lazarus had resurrected. The evidence of our transformation is a challenge to unbelievers. It causes them to question who they are and what they believe. Has your life ever challenged anyone's belief? The way you live your life. Now, listen, this whole thing I'm talking about, about the way we live our life. It's not to be saved. I've said this several times. We do not obey to be saved. We obey because we are saved. We're talking about evidence of a transformed life, evidence of what Christ has already done within us. Are people challenged by that? Has your testimony ever caused anyone to wonder if they're truly saved? Because here's the thing, church, and I've said this several times because I want it to stick. The longer we live in this world, the weirder Christianity begins to look. Have you not noticed that? Have you not noticed that? I've seen a lot of, lately, a lot of religious leaders in our country who are making a stand for life, being pro-life, receiving death threats. I'm seeing a lot of a a lot of people trying to make plans to go against the church because of their beliefs and how they live. You don't see this happening to Hindu churches, to uh, Islamic churches. You don't see this happening to a lot of these other religions. You see it happening to Christianity. Why? Because we are a threat Lazarus was a threat. The chief priests were threatened by what Christ has done in his life, so they wanted him dead. Is your life a challenge to unbelievers? Can people see your life in a way where they question their life? C.S. Lewis said it said it one way like this, and and I'm paraphrasing it because I don't remember exactly how he said it. But C.S. Lewis said this. He said, when I die, I want all of hell to rejoice that I'm out of the fight. Because C.S. Lewis wanted his life and his testimony to impact people, to impact the lost, to impact the world. The longer we live in this world, the the weirder Christianity begins to look. Christianity does not look like the world. Hear me say this. Christianity does not look like the world. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll hate the world. Jesus says, if you love the world, you don't love me. We don't look like the world. However, if the world looks at Christianity and sees that it looks like them, then why should they believe in what we believe? What's the point? What's so different? Our transformation should challenge unbelievers. It should seem like a threat to unbelievers because it's a warning. Paul says to imitate me because I imitate Christ. If we don't look like Jesus or even have any desire to look like Jesus, then are we truly transformed? Does the way you live challenge unbelievers? Does it? This is why I want to place myself in lost situations. If I find myself in the church every day, every week, then what's the point? There was a guy in church history and I forgot his name. It's in my church history illustration book. But um, somebody asked him, they said, uh, how is your how, how are you impacting your community? And he says, well, I preach one sermon to 400 church members. And then my 400 church members go out and preach sermons every single day. Church, our job, my job, is not to be the only one in the church to be sharing the gospel. My job is to equip you to share the gospel. So where you work at, this is because, listen, I've worked a secular job before. I've worked with lost people before. I know how tempting it is to not act like a Christian at a secular job. I've been there. And let me tell you, I have failed multiple times. So for those in here who are working a secular job, can your co-workers tell that you are Different. Would they be surprised to hear that you are a Christian? Or would it make sense to them? Oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. No wonder you're different. Does your transformation challenge unbelievers? Thirdly, and lastly, the evidence of our transformation is a taste of God's grace. The evidence of our transformation is a a taste of God's grace. Look at verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Not because on account of Jesus, on account of Lazarus. Because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Church. Church. Sometimes the greatest way to reach unbelievers is by living as if you have truly been transformed by Christ. Some people have asked me, they're like, how can I share my faith when I don't know everything that's in the Bible? How can I share my faith when I don't have all the answers to the questions? Easy. Show them what Christ has done in your life. You are a walking billboard, church. Lecrae has a great Christian rap song out. It's called, I'm gonna tell tell the world, right? And he says, I'm gonna tell the world because I'm a billboard. What Christ has done in our lives should be evident because we're walking billboards of Christianity. The evidence of our transformation is a taste of God's grace. People should walk away from you wondering, who is this Jesus? Are we living lives like that? Do people walk away from you and wonder, why is he so different? Do people walk away and wonder, who is this Jesus? You're not like most Christians who claim to be Christians. You're different. People were seeing the transformation of Lazarus and truly believing in who Jesus is. There are people I know in my life who to see the transformation that Christ has brought about in their lives is astonishing. You would never have guessed that they would have come to know Jesus. But the way they live their lives now is completely different because of what Christ has done within them. I've seen people Who used to be drug addicts, who used to be alcohol abusers, who used to cheat on their spouse. I've seen people who were the worst possible people you can think. I've seen convicts who have changed their lives because of the gospel. And their testimony today is evidence of what Christ has done within their lives. And so my question to you this morning, church, because this is what Sunday morning worship is about. One, we're here to glorify God. We're here to worship him. We're not here for us. We're here for him. That's why we come. But my job throughout the week is to fill up and to pour out. So that you can fill up. I pour out on Sunday morning so that you can fill up. And so my job this morning is I hope you're being filled up with God's word. And I hope, I hope the Spirit is convicting you in making you question whether or not you truly are living a life that gives evidence of Christ's transforming work. because church, there's a misconception we have, and and I'm closing with this. We have this misconception that God is obligated to save us. Because we pray to prayer, or because we go to church, we have this misconception that because I've done all these things, I'm a Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does it show us that we are to do to be saved. That's not what faith is. Faith is believing in what's already been done. And so to, to the believer this morning, a couple points of application, a couple points of, of just to examine yourself. To the believer this morning, are you living your life in a way that causes unbelievers to be challenged? Are you living your life in a way that gives testimony to Christ's transforming power in your life? Because we are to be like Lazarus. So to the believer this morning, if that is not you, if you feel like you've drifted, if you feel like like at your job or in your family or wherever you are, at your school, if you feel like your life has not been living up to the gospel that saved you, if your life has not been living up to to look more and more like Jesus, then today's the day to come back to Christ. Today's the day to ask for forgiveness, to turn from that and to solely seek Him. To the unbeliever this morning. And in the Bible Belt, sometimes... (laughs) You might not know if you're an unbeliever. But to the unbeliever this morning, Christ wants to do a transforming work in your life. Christ wants to take your dead soul and raise it to new life. Christ wants to do a transforming work in your life that He did with Lazarus. And so if you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never surrendered completely to Him, come and do that today. Come and do that today. God may be drawing you to Him today. The Holy Spirit may be grabbing your heart and convicting you today. Will you respond? I pray that you do. Whatever you are struggling with this morning, whatever you are dealing with, we're going to have a time of invitation. If Wesley will go ahead and come on up. The altar is is open. Um, Let me me tell you, um, nothing magical happens at the altar. okay? But sometimes, sometimes we have to come and we have to bring to God and leave it here and walk away from it. Sometimes we just need that. And so I want to invite you, if you need to come to the altar and pray, if you need to pray in your pew, if you need somebody close to you to pray with you, I want you to grab them and let them know, will you pray with me with what I'm struggling with? If you need to come up and talk to me, I'll be here. If you need to come and talk to Pastor Leto, he'll be here. Will you come this morning? Because church, Christ must be so evident in our lives that people should seek to believe in Him. I pray that Christ has done that kind of work within your life. Let's pray. Father God, I I pray that whatever you are doing this morning within the people of this church, I pray, God, that you are grabbing hearts, transforming lives. Pray, Lord, that you are convicting us in where we need to change. God, we are meant to be walking billboards within our jobs, within our families, within our schools. We are meant to be living in a way to show other people that you have transformed us. So, God, I pray that if we are not doing that, that you would show us where we are failing you. That you would help us to be brought back to you, God. God, for those in this room who have never completely surrendered to you, I pray, God, that you would grab their hearts, help them to know of the grace and mercy that is available. Help them to to know that you love them and that you sent Jesus Christ to die so that we can truly live. God, I pray that you would do a work this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for people like like Lazarus and people throughout church history that we can can watch and see their lives, who, who who have lived lives of transformation to where we can be encouraged to do the same. God, I pray that you would use us, work within us. We ask all this in your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.